0: You hear this term, adapt and overcome, but after you adapt and overcome so much, you tend not to fix the problem. You just adapt to it and keep moving. You don't, you never fix the problem.
1: Welcome to the stigma-free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges.
0: Stigma-Free Vet Zone
2: is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at org. Please consider donating at org forward slash donate.
1: The Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment.
2: Hello, I am Mike Orban, and welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are here overlooking the Milwaukee River in West Bend, Wisconsin, and today we are going to sail down to Milwaukee to visit with Navy veteran Victor Kilpatrick. Victor Kilpatrick is a United States Navy veteran who served from 1994 to 2001. He is a certified peer support specialist for the state of Wisconsin, and currently serves as the project coordinator for the R&R House, the first peer-run respite for veterans in the country. Assisting veterans in any way is my passion, and if I can use my life experience to assist a veteran in their recovery, I am happy to share it. Those are the words of Victor Kilpatrick. So let's sail on down to Milwaukee. and Victor, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. Let's start out as we always do. Remember, this is educational and find out who is Victor Kilpatrick. Where are you from? Family, all that sort of thing.
0: I am from East Chicago, Indiana. Shortly after uh, my third or fourth birthday, my parents moved to Chicago Heights, Illinois, and that's where I grew up. My dad was a United States uh, Marine Corps veteran, and my stepdad was an Army veteran as well. So as I was growing up, There was a lot of structure in my house, uh, whether I was at my dad's house or at my mother's house. There was structure. There was things that had to be abided by and things of that nature. And I think that's what really kind of set my mind up uh, to kind of join the military to follow in my dad and my stepdad's
2: footprints. How about uh, brothers, sisters, music, sports, that sort of thing? I have uh,
0: a younger sister and an older brother my younger sister is uh currently living in indiana and my older brother is living in atlanta i have a uh, a younger brother as well uh who is in indiana is uh with my my sister high school very active in sports track football uh i was vertically challenged so i didn't play a whole heck of a lot of basketball <laughs> you weren't the but, center
2: um, you weren't the center on the basketball team <laughs> no no no
0: but you know i had i had drive and, you know, I had passion and, you know, I had the will to to go get it and the will to win. So uh, a lot of that kind of carried over not only in my high school athletic days, but in my military career as well. You know, I didn't experience a lot of uh, trauma in my childhood. But as now, as I'm an adult, I see that there were certain instances in my childhood that kind of contributed to some of the things that I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm dealing with now and you know, being in the uh the peer support field is helping me recognize what those traumas are and, and what I need to do to try to get past it or get
2: some help to get past it. Right. We're we're going to get to the R and R house and the peer support. So now just rounding out the the childhood, did you play in a school band or have a pet or anything like that that was standout? No, my
0: mother my mother was thoroughly against pets uh, of any kind, birds, dogs, cats. <laughs> it really didn't matter. You know, I had a, I had a good group of friends. I had a good base of friends. And, you know, a lot of the things that we as, you know, African-American males in the inner city might go through, um, we had each other to kind of lean on and, and bounce ideas off of. and And it was a kind of a close-knit community.
2: Wow. So now you're in this close-knit community, and how do you come up with the idea to join the military? And when you do, what are your expectations?
0: I, I, to be honest with you, Mike, I was really ready to get out of my parents' house.
2: I was ready
0: <laughs> to you know, experience life in, in my eyes and my own terms and be able to support myself. Uh, my sister was much, much smarter than me. <laughs> she graduated from Purdue uh, with her sociology degree. I said, instead of wasting money, I would go to the military and I picked the Navy because I wanted to see the world.
2: <laughs> so you wanted to save the money, <laughs> not, <laughs> not waste the money and go to school. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> okay. So, so you make that decision. What, what does your family think about that? What does your mom think? Your dad think your sisters? Uh, my dad was all for it. All for it.
0: Uh, both my dad and my stepdad thought that that was the right idea if I was not ready to go to college. My mother uh, was heartbroken. Uh, she cried <laughs> the day that I left. She was not happy when I just came home and told her that I was leaving. You know, the, the recruiter, like every other recruiting station, came to my high school my senior year and they talked about the Navy and it, it sounded appealing. And, you know, I was a, my mother taught me how to cook at a young age. So I was cooking and And doing all that stuff at home. So, you know, I knew cooking made people feel good. I wanted to, you know, I was a like to see people smile. I'm kind of the life of the party. So I I wanted to be a cook until I got aboard ship and saw all those people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you joined the Navy. We have to remember that your dad was in the Marine Corps. Did he have any objections to the Navy or
0: Uh, No, he, I, I originally was going to join the Marine Corps because of the stories that my dad told me when I was a kid and seeing his boot camp picture with his Marine uniform on and the flag in the background. I wanted to, I wanted that picture, you know, my uncles were in the Marine Corps as well. So seeing him in his camouflage and his, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted a picture at my grandmother's house, like my dad and my, and my uncle.
2: Wow. But you still knew you could get that picture in the Navy too or something similar, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, so, so now you go into the Navy, join the Navy and, and take us through what your expectations were and and the actual experience of being in the Navy.
0: You know, when I went to uh the recruiting station and you know, they were telling me about the different positions that I could do, you know, I thought the best position for me was gonna be a yeoman, you know, the admin person. And, you know, my first uh, duty station was Diego Garcia, which is a small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, so I was a I was an apprentice, a seaman apprentice or airman apprentice, I'll say. And I got a chance to do a lot of different things. I You know, I studied to be a dental tech. Uh, you know, my roommate was an air traffic controller. You know, I studied. I went to the galley and and, and saw what the mess looked like. Uh, Not a mess as in chaos, but the mess. (laughs) And I I knew I wanted to be a cook. And from there, I was in a position where I was overseas, where anything I pretty much wanted to do, you know, I had the backing and uh, I was recommended for a mess management specialist, a school. And, and I went for it again, my my expectations were to maybe go to school uh, or get, So I didn't, uh, you know, be able to use my GI Bill to go to school after I got out and things of that nature, uh, you know, be able to get a nice job and be able to support myself and whatever family I would, you know, create at that point. So my outlook was very bright. You know, I was uh, I moved up very fast, uh, in my opinion, in rank. Uh, You know, I had responsibility. People looked up to me. People valued you know, the opinion that I had and everything like that. So I knew while I was in the military, what I was doing was going to kind of help me or set me up for when I got out of the military. And that was my hope.
2: So we going back, just refreshing that your parents were kept you very disciplined. That must've helped you when you got into the military, but now when, when you actually leave to go into the military, is your family there to have you, you know, a nice going away and all uh, you know, patriotism and the honor and,
0: uh, no, my mother dropped me off at the, uh, at the recruiters. And from there I got on a bus and went to the MEP
2: station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now you're in the military. Uh, explain to the audience, you're, you're, you're going to the mess. Uh, the, the mess is really the, the chow hall. The, the,
0: yes, absolutely. Yeah. Where we cook, uh, where we eat the mess. Yep.
2: Yeah. And your primary job in the military was as a cook, I guess they call a chef. Uh,
0: yep yeah, i was a mess management specialist they they're called culinary specialists now <laughs> i guess they wanted to take the mess part out
2: <laughs> so you're a culinary specialist do you think your mom was crying because she thought you would steal all of her recipes too
0: <laughs> i think my mother wanted you know like i could at least for me at my house you know my mother uh was everything to me she still is everything to me so I knew she wanted to, you know, kind of keep me safe and, and that mother kind of child realm. But, you know, I, again, I, I, I thought that was the best step for me. And that's the step I took.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question in all the time that I've spent working with with military. The love of a mother for her children is something that exceeds anything I've ever seen in my life. It is just so powerful uh, and, and so unending and so endurable. So now you, you, you spend your time in the military. And you are thinking about, you, you've been on a ship and you've seen some of the world, you've gone around, you've, you've uh, after spending time on Diego Garcia up in the Indian Ocean, you do get on ship and tell us a little bit about life on a ship before we go on to coming home.
0: It's a close-knit uh, community on this ship. You have different departments, so you have supply, you have engineering, you have admin, you, you know, you have these different departments and, pretty much they work together. I think being a cook aboard ship is the best job that you could have because (laughs) all you do is cook and you don't stand watch. So (laughs) at that point, people, they're hungry. And, you know, when you're in the middle of an ocean, there's not much you're going to do. There's not, this is before internet. This is really, really before cell phones really took off, you know? So you were very, you know, you were kind of dependent on, VHS cassettes and DVDs that someone might have that you know that you're looking at when you know when your day is done. Um, We played a lot of games. I grew up a lot aboard ship you know I was stationed with a lot of different older guys and a lot of different guys from different cities you know from the south from the north you know a lot of different countries so I grew up a lot. I was able to take what I what I've learned from my friends aboard ship and Really, you know, just utilize it in my life. But at the same time, I had an opportunity to prove myself with, uh, you know, certain different college courses that they offered on board ship while we were out to sea. Or I was able to get my uh, enlisted surface warfare pin. Uh, a lot of cooks didn't get that. Uh, so I was glad or happy that I was able to achieve that goal. So I was always goal orient- orientated and always had to shoot for something.
2: We're speaking with former Navy soldier, Victor Kilpatrick, and I, I want to stop on that point because it's very, very important. You said you met people from all over the South, out of the country. I, explain the, the, the education or the experience of learning about different religions, different races, different backgrounds, uh, and also seeing the world, getting to the other side of the world. How does that change your perspective on who you are and how you fit into this larger uh, th- this larger thing of, of life of the human race.
0: Well, kind of stepping back a little bit, Mike, you know my th- it kind of stems back from my childhood where I was saying that I was very you know regimented and, 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 and had uh, or, you know a lot of discipline and order. My aunt uh, was a Muslim, so at that point, I knew a little bit about the Muslim religion or Islam. And when I was able to travel, you know, start traveling in the military and we went to the Middle East, a lot of the things that I heard and a lot of the things that I learned from my aunt, I was able to see. So when I got there, you know, I asked questions. I've never been afraid to ask questions and get answers. And I would see prayer rugs and I would see different mosques and, you know, I would send my aunt things because, she has always taught us to, you know, there's more than just the United States and there's more culture out there. There's more food out there. There's a lot of different people. And just because we're different, you know, we have to respect each other. And my my childhood kind of really set me up for um, the things that I would come to really learn about and confirm when I got to the military know seeing different uh you know when I was stationed in Diego Garcia it was isolated duty so there were a lot of Filipinos so I got to learn the Filipino culture and different things and how they cooked and when I was in the navy you know and we were in supply there were a lot of Filipinos in the supply department so my chief where I learned a whole heck of a lot from he was a Filipino chief and you know he taught me different ways to cook and told me stories about the PI in the Philippines and, 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 and how it was. So a lot of that stuff was a learning experience for me and, and, and confirmed a lot of the stuff that, you know, I read about as a kid
2: that's just beautifully put because I think for, for me and for a lot of veterans that I know we're brought up and sometimes we're afraid of foreign cultures. We're afraid of foreign religions. We're afraid of foreign peoples. But then when we see them, we realize they're just a variation of ourselves that, that is just very, it's a wonderful, loving, powerful thing to experience that you say, wow, these are just human beings like us who want uh, to take care of their families. They want to have an income and all of that sort of thing. So Thank you for sharing it that way. Uh, The other thing I just wanted to ask quickly, you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, getting to the other side of the world, does that make the world smaller? Like when you get home, you realize, wow, you know, Diego Garcia's in the Indian Ocean on the other side of the globe, but that's not that far away. Uh, Does the the world become a smaller place? It does. And
0: for me, a lot of the times where I was in, you know, uh, Venezuela, when I was in Peru, You know, when I was in uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, when I went to all these places and I saw these and when I went to Africa, that that was the biggest one, because when I I was expecting to see sand and giraffes and lions. But when I got there, there were buildings and grass and, you know, there were, you know, neighborhoods. And I'm like, this is nothing that I saw when I was, you know, at home looking at TV,
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, you see the actuality, it, be, it becomes real. But you're naming countries that you must have memories and go back and say, at least physically, what beautiful places these are, what, what an extraordinary place the world is.
0: Oh, my God. And, and and just to kind of put it in, things that we hear in the States, in the United States, what we take for granted. And things that we are just accustomed to having, when you go to other countries and see that is not those some of those things are not readily available, you start to think, wow, every place is not the same, every person is not the same, every people is not the same. So, you you turn you you tend to learn a a new uh, respect for different
2: cultures and worlds, yeah, and appreciation. Yeah, running water. Running water. Yeah. (laughs) Potable water, drinkable water. Right, potable water. And available water. Yes. (laughs)
0: Right. I I, I tell you a story when I went to Diego Garcia and they had these trucks and it had potable water on it. So I'm a kid from Chicago Heights. You know, I
2: never (laughs) heard potable.
0: So in my mind, when I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, potable water, I'm like, wow, I can't believe these people made this spelling mistake on the side of this truck. It's supposed to say portable, <laughs> portable water. But, <laughs> but I learned that it's actually potable water. water. So, yeah. so, I mean, you know, you, you grow up fast.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and fascinating experiences, fascinating things to learn. I think that is certainly one of the biggest lessons I learned. And even to this day, water is my favorite drink. And I have seen yes. what happens to people who don't have water, especially... Yes in uh, tropical areas and what can happen to you without water in a very very short period of time as in two days when it's uh, 110 120 degrees so i would agree with you water is a great thing but it's good for good for a navy cook to understand what potable water is (laughs) (laughs) you know that (laughs) yes but you
0: know when when uh, when you're aboard ship and you're and you go to these foreign countries and you're getting your fruits and your vegetables and You know, I remember when we when I first went aboard ship and we went overseas and we would get our fruits and vegetables and we would have to soak it in this solution. I'm like, why are we soaking this in this solution? And it's simply because of the fact that, you know, different countries have different uh, techniques of how they, you know, they're not everyone is not as advanced, I would say, as in the States when it comes to uh, food and things of that nature.
2: Yeah. Uh, maybe the solution had something to do with, um, uh, the, uh what, the what, what, well, not just fertilizers, but, uh, what is the, to clean them, disinfect yeah, well, them. Absolutely. Oh, right, yeah, right, yeah.
0: right. Because of the right, absolutely. And that's what it was for. And that was what it was for. Right.
2: So before we leave the navy, uh, uh, this, this is just something b- between different services and all of that. But in general, doesn't the 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 cook or the chef or the culinary expert on a ship doesn't he have second power just under the the commander? I mean, you can pretty much uh, have favors to people and take them away from other people just by the amount of food they get, uh, what kind of spices might go in them. <laughs>
0: I, I I learned the power of my race, of my job. I'll, I'll just say that. I'll, I'll say that and
2: leave it at that. I learned the power of a cook aboard ship. We're speaking with uh, Victor Kilpatrick, a former Navy uh, soldier who's uh, sharing some great experiences with his time in the Navy. So, Victor, let's go on to now. You're, you're fixing to leave the Navy and go back home. What are your expectations when you are leaving. What are your expectations compared to what life was before the Navy?
0: I'll I'll tell you, when I got out of the Navy, it wasn't as exciting and new as it was when I got in the Navy. Um, I was uh, on my way to being divorced. I had been dealing with that. Uh, I had been dealing with certain issues uh, that I was having in the military because of that divorce. And the w- ways that it, it was affecting me mentally, it was affecting me physically, and it you know it was it was just a, a, a not a good time. So me getting out of the military, I just wanted a new. I'll just say that I wanted a new, whatever that meant, a new life, a a new place to stay, a new set of rules, a, a new relationship. I just wanted a new. That's all I was really looking for was to to kind of shed what I had been going through. And uh, try to get, you know, some sense of normalcy and back in my life. uh, You know, I'll go back to my mother. My mother was very instrumental in playing a part when I was getting back out of the military because she didn't let whatever uh, problems I was having that stemmed uh, from my time in the military or stemmed from my uh, failed marriage kind of ruin my outlook on things. She always kept me positive. She always let me know that I was still loved and there was still love that I had to give. So I I I really rested upon that. And um, you know, again, I, I was a cook, so I had that skill. I was, you know, genuinely a people person. People liked me. So I was able to go into sales, you know. So that's where I, uh, that's the direction I took when I got out of the military, I went into
2: sales. So, so you really were very hopeful that this was going to be a fresh start. You're getting out, you're leaving things behind You, you, you respect your, your experience in the, and time in the Navy. It did have the, the accompanying problems with your, your personal life with the divorce and all that, but nonetheless, you were satisfied with your Navy career. I'm guessing uh, that it taught you a lot. Yes. You seem to speak very yes. positively of it. And now yes. you're going on and you're hopeful for, for what's there when you get home. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a fair question, and we can avoid it if you want to. You mentioned earlier that your, your aunt was uh, of Muslim belief, uh, Islam. Uh, and I'm just curious, with most veterans, what is the effect of any religion on their military experience? Uh, was it important to you, not important to you? Did it stay the same Uh, if, if you're not interested in answering that, I understand that, but I'm always curious, like for me being raised Catholic, I had a very, very big challenge with God and, and religion while I was in the military.
0: Not necessarily for me, even though my, my aunt, uh, was Muslim. She, whenever she spoke to us about it, whenever she would take us to, uh, the religious service or take us to the mosque, she always, and and my mother and the rest of my family are Christian, and so she would always relate Islam back to Christianity and kind of made it make sense for us. So when I got into the world and was able to see other Muslims and other religions, I always respected that. But when we moved from East Chicago, Indiana to Chicago Heights, Illinois, the Chicago public school system was not absolutely the best. And they wanted me and my, they, meaning my family, wanted me and my sister to go, um, we went to Catholic school. So we, when we were in Catholic school, we learned about, you know, different, you know, we learned about the Catholic religion. And so much so that we converted to, uh, to, uh, to Catholic. Um, so I became an altar boy. And, you know, so I, 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 I had culture. In my life. So when I was able to, you know, go out and see the world, I I was able to relate it to something. It wasn't, I wasn't all or, you know, in shock, you know, by it.
2: Right. So, so religion was never uh, a, a strong um, influence, good or bad. It just remained kind of stable as you went through the navy. But it, 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 yes, it, it wasn't that, that's, something. That's the that's the that's the perfect way to put it. It it
0: it would just remain stable and constant through my military career. Like any, I, I can't say like anyone. That's not a fair statement to say but whenever i felt like i was in trouble or whenever i was scared or you know aboard ship and or in situations that weren't normal i always relied upon my my faith and my belief and God and Jesus Christ uh, to kind of help me through it, if that may, if, if if you understand that.
2: Uh, if I could reach out and hug you, I would hug you because that's the answer I'm looking for. In a way, that conversation because you know, you know a lot of us don't like the conversation of religion, but where does it actually fit into our lives, especially as in the military? When traumatic times come up, does the, the religion maintain us? Uh, does the God uh, or, or preference in a God maintain us or sustain us? Or how does that, uh, how, how does that affect us and, and carry us through? So thank you for that comment. Okay, so now you've come back. You're in sales. Your mom is there to help you. You've been divorced one time. Now take us up through the next stage where eventually you will become a peer mentor.
0: After uh, being in sales, I was lucky enough to meet my current wife uh, prior to me uh, getting out of the military, and I was I was moved. She she moved me from Great Lakes to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we had our second child once here. And I started working at a telecommunications company, and I made a very good wage. but I think that kind of handicapped me in a way because there were things on the military side that I still hadn't dealt with and that needed to be dealt with and people that I should have spoken to. So as I began to uh, learn about veterans and you know the VA and different programs, I, I learned about peer support. And that was the best day of my life. And I say that simply because When it, you know, peer support kind of teaches you about what trauma actually is and how trauma affects the body and different things like that. And that made me refocus back to my childhood and made me realize, hey, my childhood was great, but it wasn't as great as, as I had, you know, believed. Other things started to come back when I started to understand what trauma was and why I was acting the certain way that I act. Because in the military, you know, your aggression and passion was applauded. But when you are in a civilian setting, it could be looked upon as, oh, that guy is, you know, angry or that guy uh, is, is very aggressive. And it was different for me because how could it be celebrated in one hand and then the other hand be looked upon, frowned upon? And then you start to resent people because, they, well, they don't know what I've been through and I served my country and, you know, they don't know what it takes to, to be that number one person or that leader. Um, so I had to understand that. I, ha- I had to understand it and come to grips with it in my own. But like I said, when I started to learn peer support, it really started to put in perspective some of the things I was I dealing with. Term, and term adapt and it overcome, but after you adapt and overcome so much you tend not to fix the problem. You just adapt to it and keep moving. You don't. You never fix the problem, and I'm trying to fix the problems now.
2: That's say that one more time. I, I haven't heard it put that way, but that's a beautiful way of putting it. Adapt and overcome, but you get used to just yeah. I mean, not resolving you, the out, issues, but
0: absolutely. You know, if you're out, in the, you know, I find myself now. If something on my motorcycle breaks, well, if I can do this and get it to work. I'm just satisfied with it working. That's all I care yeah. about—is it working? But you got to fix the problem. You just can't be satisfied with it working. You got to fix the problem.
2: Yeah. So you're walking around emotionally and mentally with a lot of duct tape on the problems, and right, and, and, and right. it's working. It's holding it together, but it's uh, it's not fully happy or 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 functioning. When we go back, though, Victor, let me just ask you about this. When you said that aggressiveness in the military, and I understand that all the part of that survival, part of that, uh, oh, the aura of being a soldier, you're a man, you're in the military, you have to be tough, you have to be strong, nobody's pushing you around, all that sort of thing. You bring it home and you mention that this is now in civilian life. Could we extrapolate further and say that's in relationships?
0: It's in relationships as well, uh, yes. Uh, so when I say civilian life and everything that it encompasses, you know, when you're aboard ship, when you're in the military, you spend more time with your shipmates and than you do with your family, you got to understand you're out to sea for six months at a time and then when you're back at, when you're back in port, you're still going to work every day, you know, that's an eight, nine, 10 hour kind of job so you're, that was my family so you know when you say civilian life you know even though these are your wives and your kids unfortunately sometimes they become secondary to what's going on while you're in the military and it, it you know it's strange to them but it's it's not strange to you
2: it's not strange to you so are you aware as you're adjusting to being home that you have this this aggression is still there are you aware that it's affecting your family at all or or no or, no? no 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 it's almost it like it's i, I wasn't the... made
0: a I wasn't made, I'll be honest, it didn't start to affect me until I started reaching for goals in my uh, civilian job, when I, you know, was going for a promotion, and I started, and it was, I I, I remember it like it was yesterday, I was going for a promotion, I was writing my resume out, and I was putting some of the leadership qualities and everything that I learned from the military, and I was like, wow. I did all of this, and this is where it stemmed from, and, you know, I I started to get that passion and that fire again, and I, I remember when it was told to me, like, sometimes you come across as being angry, and we don't know how to talk to you or deliver, and it was shocking, it was shocking to me to hear somebody actually tell me that, because I just, I thought it was a, you know, a plus, a positive.
2: So so now you're getting this information, but, but as a civilian, this is coming right. to you. So how right. do you handle that? What's your response to yourself?
0: It's hard because this is who I am. I mean, this is Victor. This is, this is Victor right now. And, you know, I wasn't trying to be this way or trying to fit in. This was just the person that I am. I'm a very passionate person. And I say what I mean. And I mean, what I say, and I'm a hard worker. I'm not going to just tell someone to do something, I'm going to get down and dirty and do it with them. And when it's wrong, I'm going to tell you it's wrong. Um so that's not necessarily looked upon as a quality in the, in the
2: civilian sector. No, it's not. So now you're you're at a point where you're 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 aware that there are things from the past that uh, may have troubled you or been in your past. And I, uh, for a lot of us, I think if we go back and think of our childhood, no matter how good or bad it was, how traumatic or beautiful the life was, we didn't know that there was a difference, you know? So for example, I come from a very difficult background. I just thought everybody lived that way. That was part of my life. That's what life was. That's what growing up was. That's what abuse was. That's what all these different aspects were. That was my childhood. You didn't realize emotionally what effects that they were have or spiritually they were having on you. So now you've come to that awareness. What, what, what could you do about them?
0: Well, like I said, not until about two years ago, you know, we start. We still talking about that adapt and overcome. I just stuck duct tape on it, and I made it make sense for me in the time that I was living in right now. Um, whenever I started to get angry or upset, I, I had to just take a step back and leave. Um, I was still uh, ridiculed for even doing that—just taking time out and being by myself and working it out in my mind, and then coming back to it versus just reacting. Even so, you know, certain instances I was—that was. That was I was looked down in that scenario. So I just had to make it make sense for me and hide it as much as I could until I could release. And there was, unfortunately the release came when I got home and I was with my family, unfortunately.
2: So let's stay with that point for a little bit, Victor. This whole idea of you had to bury it inside. So many of us are accustomed to some sort of burying it inside and making a facade on the outside of us for the world to see. So the world could see what we wanted them to see, this nice guy, polite guy, whatever it might be. But we buried this stuff going back that's unresolved. It's there, but it's not resolved. And it stays with you until that time for most of us that we do actually uh, choose to resolve it. But I think the powerful part of what you just mentioned was that – it wasn't until 2 years ago you realized that you had to resolve this stuff that this is duct tape and and you're hiding it inside and it's behind you and it's not going away and it's causing problems with uh, with anger and that sort of thing but for many of us i think the realization especially in this transition from civilian from military to civilian life is to understand there's nothing wrong with these reactions if you were to think of them as opportunities to educationally understand what they are and do what you are just explaining. And that's resolved them.
0: Right. But you know, Mike, as we sit here as uh, two former service members and, and we're talking about it, you understand, you get it. I can tell in our conversation that we're having that you get it. But when it's me and another person that's not a military or not have a military background, it, it, it's not that is, it's not as easy. And, and I tend to have to explain so much about the military versus kind of trying to explain what what's happening to me. At that point, I just, you know, sometimes I just throw my hands up with it, and you know, I, I just keep dealing with it on my own because it's easier. But that's not the right way to go about doing it. So I, you know, having that 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 person that that kind of shares some of your experiences kind of makes it a lot easier to talk about.
2: Absolutely. And that's where we're going to uh, be getting to the, the value of that trust in the, the peer mentorship program. So now you've been going through all of this. I, I, the other thing that was important to me, uh, again, and what you just spoke about, if you're speaking with somebody who ha- doesn't have the military experience, that culture, that, that, that experience – um, maybe we put on a facade form. But it's not as important for them to understand what's going on inside of us as it is for us to understand what's going on inside of us, as it is for us for the sake of our own happiness, our own peace of mind, peace of soul, to resolve these issues so that we're comfortable being with ourselves. And that's the person that we really want to to. Oh, I I get in a position that we're happy and proud to share that with someone else, as opposed to keeping anybody from getting to know what that person or who that person is inside of us.
0: But very rarely are we able, are we successfully doing it by ourselves? We're going, we know we're going to need some help. We're going to need to have to talk to someone. And, and at least for me right now, peer supporters with other veterans is that, is that for me but there are a lot of vets out there that that don't have a peer supporter or another veteran to talk to so it's important for for them to talk to someone and unfortunately if a lot of people that they may come in contact with are not veterans so you know that's where the frustration starts to come of is anybody going to ever get what I'm talking about? I felt that way. Is anybody ever going to get it? You talk, I talked to my mom, but she only is going to tell me what she thinks I want to hear because of, you know, she loves me in that way. I can't talk to, you know, any of my, you know, friends because they're, they're going to be not be objective in the information that they're giving me. So, you know, who are we going to talk to? And and I think that's where I say, me learning about peer support and meeting other veterans in peer support has helped me tremendously because it makes me know that I'm not the only person that's feeling this way or going through these things or having these emotions and ups and downs. I, I'm not happy that other people are going through it, but I'm happy to know that I'm not the only one going
2: through it. That is so important because that, that sometimes when we get into this position after leaving the military and we're we're trying to adjust to civilian life, we don't expect to have a lot of these reactions. And when they come up, we think we're alone because we're supposed to really uh, uphold our responsibilities as men and women in the military. We're not supposed to have these cracks in our armor. We are supposed to be the the, the, the soldiers that have no issues, that have no, no, no weaknesses. So for us to believe that other people – I went for a long time thinking I was the only person in my entire company – uh, in, in the military who had these issues only to find out that hundred percent of them did. And so what you're saying, when I got back to actually going into in, inpatient treatment and being with other veterans, that was, that saved my life. Actually, what you're saying saved my life. And that was getting back with other people who shared the common experience, who I could trust with that passionate uh, or intimate part of my experience. Does, does that make sense to you?
0: Absolutely. I mean, and and unfortunately, like you were saying that 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 as being in the military and people think you are this strong person and, you know, you you're you're committed and you and you have these goals and morals and you, you live by a code and everything like that. All these positiveness, all these positives. But unfortunately, it those positives can turn into stig, stigma and the fact that, you know, yeah, I am all these things. But I'm, other things as well, I hurt, I, I I have, I feel pain, you know, I, I want to talk to people when I don't feel like I'm in a good place. And you don't take that part of the, you don't take the B side of it. You don't take that into consideration.
2: But if we were to take that B side, Victor, isn't it important to think about the fact that When we're in the military, in that culture, how would you go through the military and not have these experiences or these reactions? I cannot imagine myself in my experience in the military coming home and not having had the reactions that I had, they, the reactions when I stop and think about it, makes sense. It the part that doesn't make sense is that I believed the stigma: father, World War II veteran, brother, brother, a paratrooper. All of these things that were taught, I I swallowed the stigma that something was wrong with me for having these. Whereas if I if we had entered into the military, if we just put uh, Victor Kilpatrick in the Navy and said, okay, go down to go down to the mess hall and start cooking. And you said well i don 't know how. would we have said you 're mentally ill, or we need to educate you on this and, and so they they understand it when we go into the military that we need you know, a, a pretty solid and thorough education, which I received. But when we come out, we have to become our own professors and and learn how to guide ourselves to teach ourselves these new things. And I can't agree with you more when you say we can't do it on our own and there's no reason to do it on our own because it's more than we expected. We didn't know what the reactions were. How are we supposed to know how to answer those? Well, the best way I think is uh, is to go out and get the education to answer those. So. Thank you for the, the way that you're explaining this, because this is perfect. Could, could we just step back again when you were leaving the military, because you, you, you speak of this so beautifully. Do you think ever about leaving not just the culture of the military and coming into the civilian culture, but what about your mission in the military? You had a very distinct mission uh, to take care of the troops that were on the ship. To feed them, to make keep everybody healthy. You had a very powerful place or a very important place in this military structure. When you leave the military, you don't have that same mission. You don't get up with that same responsibility. How do you transfer that to now your your position in life? Is that a fair question to ask you?
0: That is such a fair question. Um, when I was in, the, you know, as a cook, if you were, if I was tasked to make gravy, and I would make the gravy. But when I'm done making the gravy, if one of the other cooks are making potatoes and the line's about to open and they're behind, you know, you grab, you know, you you jump in with them and you get help get their potatoes together. Or if the line needs to be garnished and, you know, the person is behind, you know, you jump in and garnish the line. There's always something for you to do in the military. You, You know, they say, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. You know, there's always something to do. But when I came to the civilian sector, it was, do your job. Okay, my job's done. What, am I, what do I do next? Well, can I go help them? No, that's their job. You do your job. So, you know, that teamwork and that camaraderie, kind, everybody was more for self. What can I do to get ahead? What do I have to say? Who do I have to meet? Well, versus when we were, when I was in the military, it was like, what do we do to get ahead? How can we make our department look better? That was the biggest thing
2: for me. Yeah. That, that, that purpose, that sense of purpose and, and a sense of purpose is really given to you when you enter the military and take the code, when you come out, there's a challenge to find that purpose because you have to really create that purpose yourself. You have to create that new mission yourself. You know, when
0: I got home every morning, I would get up, I would make my bed. My mother's looking at me like I'm crazy. Why (laughs) why are you you making your bed so perfect? Are you trying to make, you know, I, I, my, even today, my wife says, why do you get up so early? And because it's, I don't, I'm not the type of person that's just going to keep laying down. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's time to get up. It's mm-hmm. time to move. It's time to shake. You can do something, walk the dog, get the kids some breakfast, <laughs> you know, there's always something to do. And she's like, just sit down. You know, my, <laughs> my- <laughs> but I'm just accustomed to it. And yeah. my stepdad, I'll tell you, my stepdad, he worked until the day he died. I mean, up until two. De- I mean, he was always doing something at
2: a purpose. You know,
0: whether it be you know doing Meals on Wheels for veterans. You know, he used to do that. Worked at different companies, different uh, different factories. You know, so I was always taught work ethic as a kid. You know, that wasn't foreign to me. So. I, I teach my sons, that you, you can always do something, do something. Yeah. Just don't be stagnant. So, yeah, that's that's it for me.
2: Yeah, changing it. And you really have to become your own professor and go out and find the people who can help educate you to start a new mission. And uh, a couple of more things before we close up today, Victor. Would it be fair for us as veterans to think more about, and we don't have to have a long discussion on this, As the, of the family as the center of the health care unit and not ourselves? Because I know a lot of us came home and we said, well, I was the veteran. I was the one in the military. I was the one. It was me. I'm angry about this. I'm angry about that. How valuable it is, is it for us as veterans to recognize that our families might not necessarily understand who we are uh, but it's our it's our opportunity to give them the comfort and safety of the house, the same as we want it in the house. Uh, to say, well, I can I can share uh, resources with you. We can send you to the dry hooch where you're working or have worked. Uh, we can sh- send you to the RNR house. We can provide resources for our families so that they're comfortable in this readjustment as well.
0: We uh, at the RNR house we do a monthly uh, resource showcase. Uh, with different CVSOs throughout the state of Wisconsin and throughout the different counties of Wisconsin. And one thing that kind of echoes from each county uh, is the fact that the military family or that family of that veteran kind of suffers Alongside as the veteran, as well. And unfortunately, when we talk about helping the veteran, helping get the veteran in recovery, helping to get the veteran in a place where they can be successful and sustain, you know, uh, success, we're not really taking into consideration what that family is going through. Um, Not in, you know, and not in, I was told, you know, I never, unfortunately, you know, now I am, but before working with veterans. I never talked about my military career. I never talked about it uh, with my family. And I, one day my son was, uh, in the kitchen doing his social studies homework, uh, with my wife and they were talking about Bahrain and, you know, where it is and, and, and the temperature and, you know, the things of that nature. And I came in the kitchen and I was happy, you know, kind of excited. I'm like, Hey, I've been there. And they they were like, (laughs) my wife and my son were like, you have been where? I was like, Bahrain. They were like, where and when did you <laughs> ever go to Bahrain? <laughs> I was like, you know, I was in the Navy, you know, I did travel the world, you know, and, you know, I was telling them how hot it was and, you know, and, just to see my son just in amazement that, you know, hey, you know, my dad's been there and he, when he went to school, he was like, my dad was in the Navy and he, you know, that made me feel proud. And not until recently, I've, I've spoken with different people when they say, you know, it's okay to speak with your family about your military, uh, some of the things that places that you've been and some of the things that you went through. It kind of helps them maybe put the pieces of their puzzle together, Absolutely. learning about their dad and you know, what, you know, you could be, you know, mending or kind of bridging, you know, what any trauma that they might be experiencing, you know, you might be helping them in an early stage. So I'm learning to speak more about my military sure. career. Well, and just
2: just to in. be in the house with somebody you love and understand who they are and what their background is. So... Uh, but now you have gone on to be become a peer counselor and, and head of the R&R House. So take some time and explain the R&R House to us. What is that? What's the value? Who can go there? Where is it? The R&R
0: House is the first ever peer-run respite for veterans in the country. We are located in uh, Pewaukee, Wisconsin, but we service or help veterans all across the state of Wisconsin. What makes us unique, other than being the first peer respite for veterans, is it doesn't matter what your discharge status is. It doesn't matter what you might have went through in the military. It doesn't matter if your service connected with the VA. It doesn't even matter whether you have a dime in your pocket. It's absolutely free, and we're just there to really help veterans that might need help. As we, you know, me and you spoke about earlier in this conversation, being able to sit with someone that gets it that you don't have to do so much background explaining that you could really get to the pro or get to the uh, root of what's happening with you. And in peer support, you learn different language. And what I mean by that is instead of asking somebody, well, what's wrong with you? What happened? So it's the same question, but just a different intent. Being able to, to, hey, you know, I've been divorced or I've been through this and this is the way I felt, and this is the way that I found help. Maybe that might help you. That helping that veteran is what we at the RR House is really there to do. And we are waiting our first guest, but we are ready to help in any way that we can. We run a 24 hour non crisis warm line. So while we are waiting our first guest, we're not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs, we're finding other ways to help our brothers and sisters in arms.
2: I, I think it's re- really – there's so much that goes on there. There's more information that we can share with our guests about the R&R House. The one that is interesting to me is you can come there and stay for seven days. And I'm by staying there, me. you don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. You you can just no. go there and chill. and it but but some of the reasons, I've been trying to think since I visited there and, and my own experience, what are the reasons a person would go to the R&R house? And, and I shared one with you, but it, it could be that you've just, you're tired of your job. You can't take the problems home at night. You, you know, some aggravation. This gives you something just to put a brakes on where, where you are, what's going on, and go out and just, as people would say, chill for a couple of days. Speak with people that are familiar with your topic. You've got a swimming pool. They can garden. There's topics. They can play video games if they wanted to. Or there's an exercise room. It's a place just to drop light for today and go and, 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 and refresh.
0: And the fact that, like you said, we res- it, when we start talking about peer support, some of our goals or our core principles is you have to know exceptions. And what I mean by no exceptions, know that everyone is not the same. We're not gonna be able to help everyone in the same way. So you have to be able to know what exceptions are good for which person. And we also say that it's all about the peer. And it is. We would want you to come out and talk to our staff and kind of get to the root of why you're there. But if you want us to sit outside for seven days by the pool and just sit there, you have that option and and we respect that. While I I was in the military and going through things with my ex-wife and and you know I had was forced to leave the home for days on end and I had to go back to the barracks and nobody wants to be at the barracks and there's nobody at the barracks to talk to so I was literally in my room by myself stewing in the mess that was at home and not knowing which way to turn how important with the R&R house have been for me where I could go there and talk to someone that might have been through the same things that I've been through or be just in a positive environment. Some, I always tell people when I talk about the r house, I believe change comes from when you're being, when you're able to be taken out of a situation and put into a different situation where you can have time to think or a situation that, or in an environment that you're not used to because you actually have time to think and open up your way and open up your mind to certain, you know, different um, scenarios that could help you. That's where I think the R&R House is going to be able to help the veterans, being able to show them something that they might not be used to seeing, and put them around other veterans that's been through things that they've been through, and be able to give you certain advice that's helped them.
2: Right. I think that the the, the example. That you just gave one of them, Victor, is very important because a lot of us come home from the military, and I, I don't think this is a secret. Many veterans have been divorced two or three times, uh, are estranged it's from their not children. A it's not a secret. Uh, and many of us have trouble with relationships. So this is a very good opportunity if you are in the home and the relationship is struggling and there's a lot of hostility to just say, okay, honey – there's a place where I can go and get away from this. We can all take a back up a little bit. I'm going to go to the R&R house. Or as you explained in your example, Victor, where somebody has moved into another apartment, left the home, left the relationship, and they're just transitioning and they're, they're home alone. Who am I? What's going on? you know, this whole thing of uh, the failure in life and all of whatever might accompany that, you can go to the R&R house to stay for two days, three days, seven days, and help you make the adjustment. uh, Just as you said, get away from the circumstances, get away from the anger, get away from whatever might be on your mind get a fresh look at it, or just take a break from thinking about it.
0: Absolutely. And not only that, though, it's not, you know, when you leave the r House, okay, thanks for coming by, uh, God bless, see you later, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hope it works out for you. Yeah. You know, we do a 30, 60, and a 90-day follow-up, to, and, we, and we, the reasons why we do those follow-ups is to, A, make sure that the resources that we may have provided was a benefit to you, uh, B, if you've been going through some of the same issues that brought you to the RNR house in the first place, you could talk to someone that you met at the RNR house, and then instead of maybe coming back, we can, you know, talk about what's going on and see after ninety days. After you, after you stay at the RNR house after ninety days, you're able to come back. So at that point, whatever worked or what didn't work, we're still there for you, and that's where the fact that we're not going anywhere. You know, when you're in the military, you meet new people, you go to these different duty stations, you're always the new kid on the block in certain instances. The in our house is not going anywhere. We're here for you. And I think that's where we are going to, and we partner with the other respites. A lot of the things that I learned with the rest, with other respites is they're there to help and they do a lot of the things that we do, but they're not even, some of them aren't, weren't even asking, have you ever worn the, a uniform in the armed forces? you know, not say veteran, because veteran means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And depending on what your military career was, or how it ended or started, most some people don't even consider themselves veterans. So have you ever worn the uniform and, and, and the armed forces? And if the answer is yes,
2: we can help you. Right. If you have you taken the oath, which is one of the first right, things we right. do? Have you a- have, yep. entered have you under that oath? oath? Yes. And, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that not just is this seven days okay so what happens after seven days you are affiliated with other groups that uh, work with Ooh. veterans that are veteran oriented that, that have Absolutely. the peer mentors and one of them is dry hooch you, you're, you're familiar yep. with that uh, I am familiar
0: with which is, I
2: believe is becoming more national but you do have others uh, the, the Milwaukee Homeless Veterans Initiative there's a lot of veteran run organizations that you're affiliated with so it's not about going there for seven days and then just being disconnected as you say there's a great follow-up, a continuation, and it's really a welcome back into the veteran community. And once you get back into the veteran community, that that really becomes a, a very important part of just a, a lifestyle, I think.
0: You hit the nail right on the head with that one. Being able to be, I was getting ready to say be stationed, but being able <laughs> well, to say <laughs> be, <laughs> be being able to be back in a military setting with other military veterans. It, it really warmed my heart. It, it really did because we're a unit. You know, we we celebrate each other's successes. We mourn each other's losses. We're there to pick each other up. Not only do we provide peer support to a, a guest, but we provide peer support to each other. Because even though we work there, we still are veterans. We still have issues that we're dealing with. We still have family that we're dealing with. We still have these other relationships that you know we're trying to make better. And we're just there to help each other.
2: Right, absolutely. So this is actually for peer support personnel themselves very healing. This is a continuation. And one of the things that's really nice about that or healthy about that is one of the passions that you have and most who are peer supporters is we've been there. We can look at the people coming and we can see ourselves in them a little bit. And so there is that passion to help them and that's the understanding. And one of the things that I have learned to say, and I say this very respectfully, I have five sisters. And if you wanna know what it's like to be pregnant and give birth to a child, who do you wanna ask? Well, don't ask a male gynecologist, ask somebody yeah. who's had a, a, a similar experience. And that's where veterans come in. They have the trust. We've been there, not exactly as anybody else, but we've been there, we get the language, we get the culture, we, we know the heartache, we know the panic attacks, the anger, the the guilt, the shame, and go right down the line of all these reactions that are there. But education, as you're offering, is much more valuable than, as you said, that stigma of what's wrong with you uh, as opposed to what can we do. So t- take a minute now, Victor, be- before we close up, I- I'm so grateful for-, for what you're sharing because you're-, you're hitting the nail on the head with all these different topics about what veterans and their families go through. But where, it's not a matter of what we go through, but how do we find the answers? How do we resolve the re- the- these reactions that we're having? And-, and this is all just very valuable information. But close up with us by telling us, uh, in your own words, what's the value of a stigma, PTSD? What do, what do you think about stigmas?
0: I, I have very real um different situations when it comes to stigma as we were looking to secure a location for the r house um we had to go before the Pewaukee Public commission and get a a conditional use permit for the house that we are leasing right now and you know when you hear about p t s d and all these things uh, i heard i had i heard someone say that they they Hollywood it or they you know they fictionalize it. When you hear it, they think of different movies that they saw veterans portrayed as being monsters with this PTSD and going on rampages and and things of that nature. And you know it was very hard for me to hear certain things when it came to people and what they thought about certain veterans that were dealing with PTSD. I I, I really couldn't believe that. They were saying these, some of these people were saying these things and it just made me really understand that even though you hear, thank you for your service, thank you for your service, thank you for your service. They're only thanking you for your service when it's sunny and bright outside and there's a parade (laughs) with flags and balloons everywhere. But when you, you know, they're not really thanking you for your service when you're sitting there explaining to them some of the trauma that you've been through in your military career. And I I I made it a point for me to whenever you know I hear anybody bad talking it or 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 bad talking veterans or you know just giving you know a certain giving us certain bad names or the stigma I, I always speak up about it because it's not fair and it's not always true.
2: So tell us, so- Victor, share with us how did they contact the R&R House? Where, where what are the? every possible connection that you have from websites to phone numbers what however they were go about getting in touch with R&R house in Pewaukee Wisconsin I'm going to spell that because most of us are familiar with yeah. Wauwatosas and Oconomowoc's <laughs> and Pewaukees but it's uh, or I'll tell you what you can spell it because I'm not sure I know E E W A U K E E
0: Pewaukee Pewaukee
2: Wisconsin um, we,
0: we are right off of highway 94 so on your way, if you're on your way to Madison from Milwaukee, uh, we're right there. We chose that location because since we do help veterans all across the state of Wisconsin, we wanted to be able to give them an easy way to get there. Or if they were to take a charter bus or a bus, uh, we were able to be able to arrange a ride from wherever they are to the r House. Right. Our direct number, uh, not only to get in contact with us, but for our 24-hour Uh, non-crisis warm line is area code 262-336-9540, 262-336-9540. You could uh, go to uh, mhawisconsin.org, that's our parent company, and you're able to hear a little bit more or read a little bit more about the R&R House, uh, which is on that website. You can follow us on Facebook, r House, or you can like our YouTube page, which is r House, or you could follow our Instagram page at r House as well. We are everywhere. Uh, our, my email address is Victor, that's V-I-C-T-O-R at M-H-A Wisconsin, that's Wisconsin spelled out, dot O-R-G. We have, uh, promos- we have uh, promotional videos that are out, that gives you a virtual tour of the r house. You'll be able to see our swimming pool that we have in the backyard. <laughs> that's beautiful right <laughs> yes, now.
2: Yes,
0: um, you know, you're able to do and whatever you like at the R&R house, um, whether it be swimming, if you want it, we have garden beds, raised garden beds. So if you're in the gardening, you're able to do that. We offer yoga, Uh, In the, in the backyard and our backyard is phenomenal. You know, if you just want to get out into nature, you know, we sit right in almost in the middle of a field. So you're able to just get re in contact with nature. If you want to work out, we have a full weight room in the basement. And one of our peer support staff uh, is a uh, certified peer support, uh, a certified trainer as well. So whatever you need, or if you just need to talk to someone, We are there for
2: you. Uh, In in military language, I forget the the alphabet and spelling it out, but MHA, Wisconsin. M-H-A is, spell it out.
0: Mary Hotel Alpha.
2: Mary Hotel Alpha, Wisconsin.org. Wisconsin.org. .org. I I can't say enough about the organization and what you're offering, and and um, the the hard work that you guys are putting into this. So it's give us one last word on R and R House. Oh, I know what it was. I wanted to say we are in the military, are so familiar with R &R, and R, rest and relaxation. But again, it's the two letters R for Richard, I suppose, and R. So R and R, -R 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 Romeo and
0: romeo oh, there you go
2: <laughs> see i've been out for 50 years i forget all that yeah <laughs> okay we have been speaking with uh, victor kilpatrick who is a navy veteran and also the w- one of the coordinators of the R house in pewaukee wisconsin he has shared that information that information will also be available on, on our website uh, and our facebook uh, which we will be giving you the information for so Victor, I want to thank you so much. Um, and I know that we are going to be visiting again to the r r House. I'm, I actually kind of like to stay there myself. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for coming on you and could guest, You <laughs> could be our first
0: guest, Mike. You could be our first guest.
2: Okay. Thank you, Victor Kilpatrick. I appreciate it very much. Uh, so I want to thank you for joining us today on Stigma Free Bet Zone and let you know how important your co- your comments are in our efforts to always update and provide the best quality information and the best uh, services for our podcast. And our website is uh, urbanfoundationforveterans.org, or more simply the letter O, the letter F, the number 4, that's vets.org And for a more uh, <clears throat> more immediate uh, conversation with a real person, always keep the Veterans Crisis Line nearby. And that number is one 800 2738255 and then press 1 or you can text to the chat number 838255 chat but don't hesitate to call people that's probably one of the most important steps to take and the most difficult is that first one but you will be glad you did and i just want to go back to victor before he tries to escape here from the, the just quick you mentioned a warm number tell us about a warm number and what that warm number is
0: Actually, you were reading my mind. Our warm line, our 24-hour non-crisis warm line is area code 262-336-9540. Again, we're 24 hours. We have both male and female staff taking calls on our 24-hour warm line. And no matter where you are in the state of Wisconsin, if you're a family member, if you're a vet, it doesn't matter. Um, Give us a call if you need our assistance.
2: Thank you, Victor. Okay, the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast is brought to us through a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. And for many of us who have had experience with any aspects of suicide, we know that there can be a punishing uh, depression that precedes uh, those thoughts and considerations of suicide. And, and I certainly fit into that category. So uh, that is the work of the Charles E. Kubley Foundation and the experience of the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. So check out the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. At Charles E. Kubley Foundation.org. And today's engineer is Kerry Wheaton. And for co host Aaron Schroffnagel and Bob Bach, I am Mike Orban. And thank you for joining in on the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage orbanfoundationforveterans.org.
2: Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at orbanfoundationforveterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book
1: Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us and please tune in again.